Turn again in your Bibles, please, to James chapter 1. James 1. One of my favorite men of the past is A.W. Tozer. Quite a man of God and one who has influenced my own thinking when it comes to thoughts about theology. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Experience can lead us to our change of view about God. Only after an ideal, some painful experience, some self-probing experience, it is during those times that what we really think about God is revealed. Lois and I were talking the other day about a man by the name of Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was a colleague of Billy Graham. They worked together in Youth for Christ all across the country, more articulate than Graham, actually, if you ever hear, heard him speak. And there was a, a part of the Christian experience that, that he could not cope with the painful experience that he was going through and what he had observed that led him to say farewell to God. The probe was too deep. James is writing to a people who are facing a, a, a situation that was actually causing them to, re, to rethink their faith. As you listen to the language with which he spoke, you could, you could feel or you could see what was happening. You could hear James saying to them, don't give up. Don't come to wrong conclusions about God because what you think about God, you will tend to move toward in your faith and your faith will then begin, or your experience will begin to interpret God for you rather than God's word. And so I want to look for the time allotted to us this morning at what I call mistaken views of God. Mistaken views of God. James begins by saying this in verse 13. Let no one say when he or she is tempted that I am tempted by God. Let no one say that. In, in the original language, this, this is a statement of tremendous ethos. Don't ever say that about God. That's what James is trying to say because he saw where they were going. Uh, you, you're acquainted with the thought, haven't you? They say, I said, have you ever, meant, have you ever noticed you never know who they are? <laughs> they say it, but we don't know who they are. Well, well James is, is saying something like that. Let no one say. What this is, this is a universal rejection. No matter where this person might be, no matter what 
ethnic background he or she may come from. Don't ever say that because what you are thinking about is not correct. <laughs> He's going to expose that in a few minutes. In Matthew 16, Jesus accosted the disciples with a similar question. And he said to them, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Or Jesus was asking, What's the opinion of people out there? Because people have opinions, you know. People have ideas, and ideas have consequences. And so the disciples answered Jesus, this is what we have heard. Some say you are like Elijah. Some say this, not everyone, you are like Elijah. Elijah was the man of passion. Elijah was a man with fire in his bones. He was ready to take on anything that opposed God. One day he tackled 850 false prophets and stood before them tall and destroyed them all with the fire from God. Some say you are like Elijah. Some say you are like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And people remembered Jesus at the grave of Lazarus. He wept. He wept. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This is a gentle Jesus that most of us like. <laughs> I, I, when I was a young boy, there was a fisherman that lived on our street. And every, every day he was finished with his fishing, he would go to the bar and he would get drunk. And I could almost always tell when he was on his way home because you could hear him singing this song. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, please look upon this drunken child. See, we, we, we think when we sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Do we feel that this is the only kind of Jesus we want? James says, what you're thinking about Jesus. Some say you are John the Baptist, back from the dead. John the Baptist was a man that didn't pull punches. He called them vipers. And Jesus called them whitewash. So people have opinion. And Jesus said, let no one say, no one, let no man say. The word man is anthropos, human beings, wherever they are. Let no one say. The word say is that which the, the mind expresses through the, through the mouth. Let no one say. Let no human being say. When certain things are happening. Uh, listen, li listen to this. We're living in a day in which we have decided in an ecstasy of freedom that there would be no bound to anything. We will not be bound by the Bible. We will not be bound by conscience. We will not, we will not even be bound by God himself. We will be bound only by what we set the boundaries at. My thoughts is what really matters, not what God says. Not what the Bible says. My thoughts will govern me, and I will not have God 
or anyway, as one professor from New York University says, it is not that I don't want to believe in God, it's that I don't want God to exist in the first place. Imagine. A universal rejection. But I want you to, to, to see something else that James is saying. James is saying that when we choose not to believe in God, after that, it is not that we believe in nothing, but that we believe in anything. If, 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 if I choose not to think of God correctly, anything that appeals to me is what I make God to be. A survey was taken in London several years ago um, asking people from door to door, do you believe in God? And one of the answers came from a, uh, uh, someone who responded, I believe in God, but not the God that you are talking about. I believe in God in my way. <coughs> Sounds like something Frank Sinatra would say, I did it my way. So, after the, the, the expulsion from the garden, the view about God has been deteriorating from the garden. When, the, when, when Adam and Eve were told that God is a deceptive God and they should not believe in him, that he knows that he's keeping information back from you because if you know what he knows, you will become like God. From that time to the present time, the thoughts about God has been deteriorating. Just read Romans chapter 1. So here we have this universal rejection. But quickly, we have what I call the critical accusation. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Now, the, the Greek word for tempted is almost the same as the Greek word for temptation. Trial and temptation. They're almost the same. The context, the context is what gives the difference. So in this word, see, tempted is a drive to commit evil. Trial is a drive to produce character. When we are tempted, when we are tempted, it is to do something evil. It is to do something that is wrong. And God should never be seen as one who drives us to do that which he condemns in the first place. The implication of that is, is very, 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 very great. One who is tempted must never say, I am tempted by God. God is seducing me to commit evil. So when you read the word temptation, when Jesus prayed, which you'll see in a minute, when Jesus asks us to pray, lead us not into temptation, is he saying that we're asking God to keep us from evil? Well, that's exactly what he's praying. Because without God, we fall so easily. It doesn't take much. Someone, Proverbs says, for a loaf of bread, a man will sin. To tempt, as used here, is to seduce, to commit an evil. And temptation is intended to produce character, not corrupt it. Man is seen as a helpless or innocent bystander who is edged on by God to do something that God will later condemn. 
I don't know if you're following American politics. History and politics have always been two things that I have had a vested interest in. And uh, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who was the fifth member of the group that might end up running for the United States presidency. Um, now, I just want you to know what he is. You can imagine my consternation when listening to him and he talked about his husband. His husband. And, and I thought, what? Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. If you have problems with my choice, if you have problems, you better talk to the one who created me the way I am. In other words, what was he doing? Blaming God. The reason I'm this way is because God made me this way. <laughs> and I said, oh, listen, I think I've heard that before. The woman you gave me, isn't that what Adam said? The woman you gave me, the reason things are so messed up is because of the woman you gave me. And the woman could not turn any other way, but she said, the snake made me do it. <laughs> and someone humorously said, and this, after that, the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> My friends, you know it and I know it. The easiest thing for us to do is to blame God for when things go wrong in our lives. Proverbs 19.3. Listen to this. The foolishness of man subverts his ways. And when he is confused by what has happened because of the choices he or she has made, they blame God. The foolishness, that's, that's, the, that's the activities, the choices we make, subverts our ways. And when we get the consequences, we rage against the Lord. We say, God isn't fair. If he were, I wouldn't be going through it. I love this. Anna Russell read, said this. At three, I had a feeling of ambivalence. At three. I had a feeling of ambivalence toward my brothers. And so it follows, I poisoned all my lovers. But now I'm happy that I've learned the lesson this has taught, that everything that's wrong with me is someone else's fault. This is what the text is saying. Don't blame God. If, if, if you or I am tempted, my friends, listen, if I say, that I have the capacity to do the worst crime in the world. And I do. Because the Bible says my heart is corrupted. I don't even know it. That doesn't mean that I have to carry it out. We shall see in a minute. And, and, and Adam didn't have to eat the fruit. He knew that God could be trusted. And see, there are, two, there are two, two points at which we suffer. Number one, suffering is the suffering we go through before we commit an act. 
we agonize. Is this right or wrong? Is this the timing? Whatever it might be. And there's a real amount of suffering. That's the suffering we must go through. But then there's the suffering that happens after we commit this crime. Then we pay the price we don't want to. Then we begin to rage against God. Uh, I, some of you know, and I jokingly say, don't excommunicate me to say that I like watching Hogan's Heroes. And I, I, I watch TV with a great sense of caution. My wife will tell you that. So as I'm watching, I'm listening to things. And Colonel Sanders, uh, Colonel Sanders, good night. <laughs> Colonel Clink has a, a view about himself. And he, he gets in front of the mirror. He says, why did God make me so that I'm so irresistible? If only he had made me ugly, women wouldn't rush to me. Yeah, that's an inflated idea of oneself, friends. Inflated idea. See, now he's saying the problem he's having is because God made him that way. But that happens even today. The marches that are going on in Toronto, in Paris, Today, celebrating a lifestyle that is condemned by the scripture. And the claim is, God made me that way. James says, don't ever say that. Because God never tempts anybody to evil. God never leads you to that which sent his son to the cross. Don't ever say that. So let me quickly go to my second point. The mistaken view rectified. James says, I'm going to give you two reasons why it's impossible for God to tempt you. Number one, who God is. Who God is. Listen. Listen to what the text says. God cannot be tempted by evil. In other words, there is, there is no part of God's character or nature that is Seductible, seductible. Nothing can, can, in God that says, I'd like to do that, but I don't know if it's right. Listen to what he says. Here are the reasons. God is holy. God is holy. To say that God is holy means that he is separated from every form of impurity. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. God is of purer eyes than to to, to behold what is wrong. There isn't anything in God that longs for evil because he is a holy God. He is a righteous God. And God can never contradict himself by saying he is this way and then leads you to do something that contradicts, or contradicts what he says. That's so important. Right view of God. See, I've heard it over and over again. God told me to do this. And every time I hear that, it is always something that is contradicted in Scripture. Every time. God told me to do this. God told me to leave my wife. God told me to leave my husband. 
My friends, God doesn't do things like that. See, that kind of idea comes from the reduction of who God is to suit my desires so that the choices I'm going to make now, if you read Proverbs chapter 7, the, the, the woman whose husband is away says, I've paid my vows, my husband is away, I came out to meet you, and now you can come home and live with me. See what she says? I've paid my vows, I've gone to church. And since I've gone to church and paid my vows, I come out here now to meet you. And if I meet you, it must be God's will. That's the kind of, that's the kind of conclusions we come to, friends. Whenever we, whenever we reduce God to where we begin to shape our views of God from the biblical expression of God, our revelation of God, then we begin to make decisions that contradicts reason. We need to know about God that in Him is no darkness at all. A.W. Tozer writes again, the essence, <clears throat> excuse me, the essence, listen, the essence of gross idolatry is to entertain thoughts, to entertain thoughts that are untrue of God. The essence, the essence of gross idolatry is to entertain thoughts about God that are untrue of Him. God has nothing in Himself that invites evil to rest with Him. That's why it's not possible that God can tempt you. Secondly, not only do we have the impossibility in God, we have the impossibility by God. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Nor does he tempt anyone. And I hear someone saying, if you know your Bibles, you say, Oh, but what about um, Abraham and, and Isaac? Remember what I said? Trial is to produce character. Temptation is to produce sin. And what God did with, with, with Abraham and Isaac was to produce character. And I will show you this in, in a moment, how, how it, it happens. And, and verses 14 and 15 will tell us, will tell us what happens, how temptation really comes. Where does temptation come from? He doesn't tempt anyone, so because of who he is, makes it impossible for him to entice someone to do what his nature is repulsed by. And now the scripture says what, what God does when we are tempted, God comes to our rescue. When we're tempted, God runs to keep us from yielding to us. This is what Jesus meant when he said, ask God to keep you from it. And St. Paul answers it for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, listen to what Paul says. There is no temptation, no temptation, no matter what the temptation might be, that has taken a human being, no temptation. I want to, to read it from J.B. Phillips, one of the early paraphrases, and I, I, I like it. Listen to what he says. No temptation has come your way that is too hard for flesh and blood to bear, but God 
can be trusted not to allow you to suffer any temptation beyond your powers of endurance. He will see to it that every temptation has a way out so that you will never be impossible for, so that it will never be impossible for you to bear it. Every temptation, whatever the temptation is, God will come to your rescue. He will come between you and the temptation. And he will give you some way out. I can never tell what that way will be. But he has promised to do it. Because you see, God doesn't want to have to punish you. He wants to use any negative experience to develop character, but never to use the negative experience for us to go into sin. So in Luke 18 and 19, Jesus says that only God is good. Only God is good. And so if God is good, whatever he allows to come into my life, it is his goodness that has no evil in it that is behind the reason for it. So when we read, lead us not into temptation, Jesus is asking, ask God to keep you from the temptation that will bring you to sin, that will be actually destroy your character. Let me close with a beautiful story, true story. Happened about 150 years ago. Her name is Lena Sandelberg. Lena Sandelberg. She was traveling with her father. She was an only child. She was traveling with her father. And in those days, of course, they didn't have the jets that we have today. They traveled by boat. And she was standing on the side of the boat with her dad. A gush of wind blew a wave and blew her dad over the boat into the sea. And she watched her father going to a watery grave. Devastated, of course. So someone must have asked her, how is she coping with watching her father taken away from her? We don't sing this song anymore, but here's a song, the words she wrote. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment of no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure, give unto each day what seems best, lovingly. It's part of pain and pleasure mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me, he whose name is counselor and power. The protection of his child, the treasure is a charge that he himself has laid. As thy day, thy strength shall be in measure. This is the pleasure that he made. 
no temptation, no trial. Help me then in every tribulation so to trust thy Father's promise that I lose not faith, sweet consolation offered me in, in thy holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and troubles meeting ere to take as from a Father's hand one by one the days, the moments fleeting till I reach the promised land. Let no one say, when I'm tempted, God is, God is behind it. No. God cannot be tempted by evil because there's no evil in him and God will never lead you into evil to do what he, command, what he condemns. No temptation, but in every temptation, he will be there between you and it so that you are able to bear it without, without being destroyed by it. Let us pray. Father, I pray that this word will register with some heart. You know that it was not studied with anybody in mind that your spirit is the one who applies the word. And I pray that as we take the next few moments to reflect upon what we have heard, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that we will be rescued from temptation by God making a way for us to escape. Continue your work, our Father, in our hearts after we leave this place to remember in the tomorrows of our lives that God cannot be tempted by evil and God tempts no one to evil. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.